0: Welcome to On The Line. I'm Jenny Robb, and I'm so glad, uh, again, to have this recurring uh, time with Frank Giampallo. He is an award-winning international coach and best-selling author and so many other awesome things. Um, But we are continuing to go through his latest book, which is The Psychology of Tennis Parenting, and so, um, Frank, thank you for being here today. Thank you for taking the time. I know your time is valuable. Um, but yeah, let's talk about chapter two.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to dive into it. Let me just say the, uh, that I love your fabulous glasses right there. So,
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Very hip.
1: <laughs> cool. <laughs>
0: thank you. Thank you. Okay, so chapter two, the title of chapter two is Behind the Curtain. So I, my mind kind of immediately went to like the wizard of Oz, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I don't know if that's the correct way that, that, that I took it, but that's what popped into my mind. So, so tell us a little bit about, uh, behind the curtain. What, what does that mean?
1: (laughs) Well, I think you, you hit it right on the money that the, the parents are, you know, that like, like in the movie, the, the parents are controlling things from behind the curtain, Yep. And, and then obviously they have to be educated on the process to be able to navigate, you know, the, the waters because it's it could be tough out there. You know, parents can
2: absolutely
1: unknowingly, they could waste just thousands and thousands of dollars and yep hours and yep. months and months and months go by. And if they if they make some bad choices out there, they could really hurt the kids' career. So
2: yeah, yeah, behind the curtain. And
0: I think um when I read this chapter, and it really, you know, kind of reinforced in me how important the role of the parent is. So the whole idea behind your book and the other books, I mean the Tennis Parents Bible, I have the first edition and second edition. But I'm so glad that you were one of the internationally leading experts on the idea of tennis parenting because tennis parents. They, they do get a bad rap. And part of that cliche is true. There's a reason why things are cliche. There are some crazies out there, but I, I think it's so important to approach this in saying that we know it's hard. It's not an easy job. And so you do such a good job of talking about the job description of a tennis parent. And so I think to start with saying, look, this is not easy, you know, yeah. and so we're not here to bash the parents. We're here to invite them to be more involved. And yeah. um, you know, so so I just love the whole idea of how important the tennis parents are. I think it's I think it's really it means a lot to say. You know, we're not here to just be critical. You know, we're here to try to help and so i just wanted to kind of put that out in orbit um just as a generalization but um so yeah so behind the curtain uh and then the the quote you know i love quotes and so comfortable spaces are dangerous places um and i love that quote too so i'm gonna leave that right there and see see what what you know what led you to the title of chapter two and then that quote um so we have behind the curtain and we have Mm -hmm. comfortable spaces or dangerous places
1: well this
2: is
0: it it is
1: regarding um you know athletes and their developmental plan and how they really should be seeking weekly growth and improvement goals right Mm -hmm. um more so than just outcome because obviously everybody in the tournament wants the same outcome. Right. But it's the people that are growing and learning. And, um, but of course, exceptions shadow every rule. So for some people in their environment and then their stages of life, um, comfortable you know spaces are perfect for them, but okay. not for an athlete that's maybe trying to achieve a, a dream of playing college tennis
2: Mm -hmm. They're going to
1: have to, they're going to have to adapt. They're going to have to really be okay with the idea. So that's kind of why I wrote that. And uh, to me, I think it's, I I think it kind of says it all right there. And. uh,
0: Well, I think, I think it really builds on chapter one's idea when we talked about nurturing happiness in chapter mm -hmm. one, and we talked about how you have to enjoy the improvement process, even though it might be hard, you know, enjoy improving. And so I think that leads into this idea of comfortable spaces or dangerous places. I think that leads into it perfectly mm. because, you know, there are people, kids, athletes, whoever your tennis player is, that do maybe get comfortable in their play and they don't want to do anything beyond that. You know, so, so I think there's a real... Oh kind of line in the sand of the athletes that are willing and able to improve even if things get worse before they get better technically um, versus just getting to a place of I'm comfortable here playing these tournaments beating these people and winning you know so so I think you know to be able to get side outside of the comfort zone is um it's a really big deal it's a big deal and so i I just i love this chapter yeah
1: (laughs) isn't it true though that there when when we when we talk to athletes sometimes their words don't match their actions and and so their words say i want to be a pro or i want to play at xyz college but their actions say i just want to be a hobbyist and play high school doubles Right, and you, and you see two different things sometimes, but that's, that's part of being a kid, I think. And that's part of parents understanding their role and how and when to nurture. Yep. Yep. So.
0: I, yeah. that, that's perfect. I mean, so that, that leads us into sort of the first heading, which is the multi-sport theory, mm. you know, so the multi-sport theory, I, I, I love, this is such an important point that you say specializing before age 13 is often detrimental to the athlete you're trying to develop. And I am so glad that you kind of just put that in black and white, you know, cause I think a lot of people know it, but they just don't think too much about it. And I think giving that some extra time in your mind is, is really important and so let, let's talk a little bit about that whole idea of before age 13, okay. after age 13, and this multi-sport theory. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I think it's it's meaningful from both sides, the, the mental and the emotional growth of a of a junior athlete, but also the athleticism side. And I mean, you know that their general athleticism is going to be a little bit better well-rounded if they play multiple sports right especially Mm -hmm. if they play sports that are open skill sports like yes you know like tennis and basketball or soccer maybe where and if if parents if if you're not sure what that means uh open skills just means you have to make quick millisecond decisions so it's it's not just footwork but it's brain work too that has to be very quick yep um and so, in, the, in those sports, you know, it's 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 helpful to play basketball first or soccer yeah, first, but also there's some of the concepts, you know, of overuse and burnout, overuse yeah. injuries. If you play the same sport and you're doing the same things over and over and over as a as a, a real youngster, mm-hmm. uh, the other side though, too, I think that's important is just teamwork and communication yeah. skills, right? And yeah. self. advocacy where we need our athletes to be able to stand up for themselves. And and they have to deal with that more in teamwork when they're younger, but then they get into tennis tournaments and they have to deal with confrontation and gamesmanship, right? Those creative line callers kind of stuff. and, 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 and they do have a little bit more exposure with being leaders or seeing other kids that are leaders. Yes. So that's more of the software side, right? With the teamwork.
0: Yes. Um, um I, I love uh in in this heading of the multi-sport theory, you say early specialization actually stunts three aspects of your player's growth. Overall athleticism increases, higher risk of burnout, and higher risk of overuse injuries so I think that's such a, a, a clean and succinct way of saying, yeah, this is a really big deal. And these are the things that we're talking about. Um, you know, and and again, health, the whole health and wellness thing, you know, I mean, if you start, you know, as the young athlete, the young tennis player and you start having injuries and injury after injury after injury is affecting you this young, that's a little spooky.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, another um, another reason why I, I think it's meaningful is um, I see a lot of the younger kids, the, the, the nine, 10, 11 year olds, and they develop a system of play that works terrifically in the 10 and unders, which is just stay back and push and be consistent and keep right. the ball in play. And one more ball. Don't, yep. don't, yeah, don't dare to go forward. Right. right. But, but then they get a little bit older. Now they're in the 14s and people that have power and they have to be able to rely on a full game Mm. and it's just not trustworthy they once they get into the habit of not trusting their volleys or their swing volleys or their overheads once they just believe and it's all about inner belief and but once they believe they're only good at staying back that really stunts their growth
0: yeah it's really hard to change that you know to create a new habit when you're yeah. comfortable and you've been having success, to then go, now I have it's, to do something yeah. different to be successful, and that's scary.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very hard. I think for people to win at a certain level, and they they're going to have to lose before they get better. So it gets worse before it gets better because they're exactly. attempting, you know, new skills that aren't
2: really that's solidified. Right.
0: So um, I'm I'm curious as to I've I've heard of a bunch of different theories about this, but as far as a player, you have a young player that is very um, gung-ho about their tennis career. They're, they're super into it. And so would you give the advice to the parent to, at the level where they are, the level of tournaments I'm talking about, so, so different USTA levels or UTR levels, Um would you recommend that players win everything they can possibly win at a certain level before they level up or Mm. if they get enough wins to then be able to compete and they go ahead and jump it and start playing at that higher level even though they haven't really maxed out what they could be successful doing at the other level like what are your thoughts on that
1: well with my players i've always encouraged them to win two or three events before they move up to the higher level.
2: Okay.
1: Um, and on that same topic, I encourage parents and juniors to play down a level or two to get used to just the difficulties of winning six matches in a row in a 64 draw event. And
2: yep.
1: gosh, I mean, a lot of kids are very good athletes and they are match tough, but they're not tournament tough right you know what i mean yes yeah and so they have to learn that skill of uh, the parents think playing them up all the time is the the correct ticket but it's not right they just get used to losing first or second round every tournament and that becomes a habit too
0: yeah and that's yes and that one is a difficult one to get out of if, if you go into a thing and you're comfortable with losing that first round you know, that, that's, that's kind of a red flag for me as far as, you know, what you, you should be focusing on. Um, and so the, the parental part, cause I know that, you know, parents for the most part, they're spending all this money, they're spending all this time, they want the best for their kids. And so, you know, again, we're not here to, to bash tennis parents, even though right. there are definitely the crazies out there, but there are so many well-intentioned parents, but they might be misinformed or just uninformed about the best way to apply those, th- those good intentions.
2: Yeah.
0: And yeah. Um, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but you, you talk about mentors and I love how mm-hmm. you know, usually we're talking about a mentor of a player or a mentor of a coach. Um, But, but the parenting aspect, I had never actually really thought about that before, how like a parent mentor is so important and it is um so and I, I know i just jumped but but yeah let, let's talk a little bit about the idea yeah. of parents as mentors
1: well you if you're a tennis parent out there you do want to find um and, and you can talk to the tournament directors they know all the families and the, mm-hmm. the families that have had three or four children that are going yeah. through the process and Almost any honest tennis parent will, will tell you, "Well, we blew it for the first three, but we finally know what we're doing now, you know, and right, right, look, we can all just learn from other people's mistakes, and so many other parents they're just beautiful people and they want to share and they want to help yep um so if if they can save you thousands and thousands of dollars and knowing what tournament trail to to go on or what rackets to use and that's super customized in its own right but Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know there's there's a lot of topics where's the best clinic right that type of thing who who do i what kind of coaches do i look for for double specific skills or mental emotional coaches or
2: right
1: that's your that's a, a huge secret weapon if you're a parent but also but i must say too if you're a parent that's been doing this for a while please mentor the younger parents that are just getting into it and i'm not saying chronological age younger i'm saying right, kids, right? where
0: you are in your journey you know, yeah where you are in your journey you know it's like meet meet you where you are you know those mentors meet you where you are and and that's so important i mean i, I would just to throw a personal insight in i mean uh my my father was a college athlete and uh, um my mom didn't play sports in college but they're both they both have athletic backgrounds and so but they didn't know anything about tennis and so I start taking tennis lessons I want to play for the school team and so they had no idea and this was before the age of like apps and yeah <laughs> you know we didn't have a, the, the that in the 90s but <laughs> um So I think it is so important if you, if a parent does find that more experienced parent that can say, Hey, just let me give you a a piece of advice, you know, this tournament, that tournament, you know, I I think that's invaluable.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And if I was doing it all over again, as a tennis parent, and I don't, don't, I'm not sure if coaches are going to like to hear this part, but I think I would really promote private lessons with the coach to develop, you know, the kid's identity and the kid's strengths and Mm -hmm. things like that. But also I would hire a a hitting coach, like an older, maybe an older high school kid or a college kid. Yep. And have that person at least one day a week, just play three sets against your child. And if your child can't handle playing boom ball pushers, give the hitting coach their whatever, 25 bucks an hour, which is the same amount you're probably going to pay for a clinic of them, you know, rallying back and forth with their kids anyway. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just say, look, be the most annoying moonball pusher out there, and my daughter has to learn to run the patterns to beat that style. Right. And add that to your entourage. It's fine. It's it's something that's really important for for your players. So
0: absolutely, and and. So uh, going back to our, our multi-sport theory, um, mm. one of the things that really struck me that is this whole idea of promoting free outside play, Yeah, let kids just play and, you know, the, th- we could talk, <laughs> we would do a whole different uh, podcast about, uh, over-scheduled <laughs> young children, but, um, as far as a, a parent goes, and, and again, hopefully they would have a mentor or someone to, to give them some advice, but it's like, just, just let the kids, let some of that creativity come out. They'll, they'll develop some little game they're going to play and they're, they'll set the rules amongst themselves. They don't need an outside force, a coach or a parent or a teacher saying, this is the game we're going to play and here are the rules. You know, if you give them that opportunity to just have free, yeah. shopping. I love that.
1: <laughs> That's going to help their decision making,
0: right? And anyway, there's a
1: lot of a uh, big value to that. Yeah, here in here in Southern Cal, it's interesting. The kids are getting out way more that it used really? to be. You know, they were playing video games. They they're not, right. but okay, they're on these uh, electric bicycles now, and they're going right. like. 40 miles an hour down the street and I mean they're all popping wheelies and jumping over things um right uh, I think it would help them athletically if they were pedaling the bike but
0: true they don't
1: pedal anymore that's old-fashioned you know at least they're outside you know
0: right right but just just that whole idea of freedom to yes not everything has to be so registered um so moving on we're gonna say successful parental habits Mm. and you say um parents teach their children ownership of their tennis careers good good tennis parents teach their children ownership of their own careers and so you go into six commonalities found in the parents of top competitors um and I, I I love this list and so we'll spend a little time here but um I'm just, again, it's it's invaluable to be thinking about this and have it come out because I think so many people will identify with just what to do. What am I supposed to do, you know, as a parent? Yeah. Um. So let's talk a little bit about the parents that teach their children ownership of their tennis careers.
1: Well, ownership to me is... I think for the parent side is being okay with giving away the decision making, let them make the decisions. And sometimes they are going to make, you know, poor choices. Right. And, but we just don't want them to be uh, totally like dependent on you. And same thing with coaches. Sometimes coaches say things like, you cannot go to any other coach that will ruin your game. You can only go to me. And that's like creating dependency, right? Yes. But we want kids to be independent thinkers, independent problem solvers. Because yes. when they get in the match and they're the only one out there, if they're an independent problem solver, they can do you know in-between point routines. They can reset. They can do things like self-awareness like okay what am i doing right what am i doing wrong what's working right Right. opponent awareness what is she doing that's hurting me score management that kind of thing definitely but it all comes into play and it really starts with just the way you handle your kids at home let them make decisions um yep Yep. imagine yourself not like a helicopter parent or a helicopter but you're more of a lifeguard you're going to save them from drowning obviously we Mm -hmm. don't want them to get hurt right but you don't need to be holding their hand the whole time
0: right right you know that i had uh a while back worked with um a family that were great people they had two daughters um they started in the game a little bit later and kind of trying to play catch up which is a very difficult position to be in um and, uh, they were, they were homeschooled, which I'm not saying anything negative about being homeschooled, but there are some nuances to that, that are applicable. And, yeah, and so, you know, when, when I started working with these girls and wanting to make some changes, you know, it became a very difficult thing from the parent side, just because they, they, weren't willing to work on some of the plan B type things. I mean, one of one of your commonalities, you know, that you say there's six commonalities in the in the parents of top competitors. And I love this part about, you know, rehearse the secondary tools and the contingency game plans in group training session, because if the player doesn't rehearse their plan B, it won't hold up under pressure. And that is such a huge statement. And I'm like, I just don't think that people Really get that, or maybe they just haven't heard it, or it hasn't occurred to them. You know, yeah, for sure. And so and you
1: know, this is his experience, but I'll, I'll share with you a, a true story. When when my daughter Sarah played um at 15, she she was number one in the nation. But so they wow. gave her a wild card into the U.S. Open. So she's playing wow. Barbara Retner, ah. who was 30 years old at the time, I think. And Sarah, my daughter, was 15, but. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you the the scenario, and I think it's it's meaningful with this plan A, plan B. So Barbara comes out, hard-hitting baseliner. Sarah wins the first set, 6-4. Wow, okay. And we're thinking, well, she takes the set, great. Barbara Rettner gets up in the second set, starting the second set, and starts to go to the net on every point.
0: Ah. Okay. Sarah
1: goes up 4-1. And now we're thinking, gee, she can... Win matches against pros. <laughs> at four, 4 1, Barbara comes out with her C plan and starts hitting the ball two speeds, slow and slower, as ah, high as the light. Okay. Yeah. And after, after two games, Sarah looks over at me and yells, I hate pushers. And Barbara um, looks over and goes, What? And so guess what Barbara did the whole rest exactly. of the second set? Yep. Yep. Push. Guess what Barbara did the whole third set? Push. and guess who won $15,800 that, that day I maybe I should go to therapy I I, I, I still remember that dollar amount. am <laughs> out
0: no that, but- that's such a great story though to show that you know a player is 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 thinking and adapting and trying to figure out how to make their opponent uncomfortable when yes. I think a lot of times players or thinking so much about themselves like my forehand's off or my serve isn't working or you know and those are valid but ultimately yeah. if you can figure out what to do to make your opponent uncomfortable even though it might not be your a plan the plan that you like to do the best you have to resort to those other plans yeah to be successful
1: i think parents have to understand this as a part of tennis parent education but um the reason why children don't like to play their B or C plans and practice matches is because as soon as they get in the car, guess what? The number one question is every parent asks, did you win? Of course. yeah. Right. And now it, that stumps the whole growth that we're seeking, yep. you know, yep. It's it should be, did you hit your performance goals today? And exactly. Yep. I, I think also it's meaningful that parents and athletes know that If a coach asks them to play practice sets against somebody of their same level, play Mm -hmm. their A plan. If the coach asks them to play somebody lower than their level, say yes, but tell the coach I'll play, but I want to practice my B or C different game plans. Is that okay? Right,
0: right. That's brilliant. And now they got it.
1: They got the go, they got the go ahead. They're comfortable. Yep. Yep. You know, they know the little girl, if she wins, she's not going to go on, you know, InstaTwit and tell her or whatever it is. I don't even know what they call it now. I get so <laughs> confused. TikTok, I guess. I don't know.
0: Well, that brings yeah. up such an important point, too, because I've experienced a lot of parents that, that get unhappy if their player is practicing with another player that they perceive to be of a lower level and the parent oftentimes is just chasing that. We've got to play against better players. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, what, I don't even remember who, you know, said this to me, but it made so much sense, but you know, when you go play a tournament or you look at a tournament on TV, you know, maybe you are the favorite to get to whatever round or win the tournament But that first match, you know, you got to you got to win the first match. And so they might your first match might be someone that is much lesser Mm -hmm. experienced in competition, but you still have to know how to focus and win that match, you know, and then like you said, you know, if you're playing someone that is. Right on your own level, that's a different game plan. And then if you're the underdog, you know, playing a favorite, that's a different mindset too. And so those nuances that, yes, it's important to play those matches against lesser players because I've seen so many times where the player that's supposed to win kind of freaks out and loses that first round because in their mind they're like I should totally win this match like this you know I'm I'm Yeah. And and and, and that's hard it as a parent too they're like this my kids should be you know done with the match by now we should be you know in the car on the way to lunch before match number 2 like
1: <laughs> Yeah. That yeah. part of that is um even parental speculations right cuz they look they look at the UTR and they're like okay okay little Jenny you're you should mm-hmm. probably win this match two and two because Grace up the street beat her two and two. And now all of a sudden, you know, little Jenny, not to you, not you, <laughs> you <laughs> know, but okay. yeah, all of a sudden now they're in a dog fight and and, and she's like, oh my God, my my dad thought I should, I should kill this kid and I'm not, and what's wrong with me? And so there's a lot of mind games that you're right, that goes on, right? It's It's difficult. But that's it why is. we're, that's why we're here to help folks, right? Exactly, there, you
2: know? exactly. That's
0: right. <laughs> um. And, and last point on this is under the heading of successful parental habits, which is, we didn't go through them all, but that's why you need to get the book. <laughs> but um, I do, I do love this one that says, uh, being a great competitor is different from being a great ball striker. Mm. And that really, really hit home with me. Um. You know, uh, last year I had a phenomenal opportunity to work with the um, University of Alabama men's um, team. All right. And, uh, so I spent, I spent a year, um, with them and it was, it was amazing. I'm so thankful that I had that opportunity, but, you know, when I first would come out to practice and, you know, I didn't recruit these guys, I don't know who these guys are. And so, and, and uh, the, the head coach, I was like, don't, don't tell me what the ladder is. Let me just kind of see if I can figure it out. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're watching the players in the warm up, I'm like, gosh, I mean, they all, they all look great. I have no idea who would be, you know, who's one versus who's six. (laughs) Yeah. And just watching them warm up as far as being a good ball striker, I'm like, these guys all look amazing. Yeah. But then when they got into more competitive play, then you could see the difference. And so it's like physically, they were all fabulous ball strikers. But how does that then lead you to being, you know, that good competitor versus just a striker?
1: Well, it's all, it's, uh, to me, it's a matter of, are you really, are your athletes practicing in the manner they're expected to perform? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that goes back to the old statement that you and I, we would hear every week is, why is my kid so good in practice, right? But they tank in matches. and Right right and and, but parents usually what happens is that the coaches are are talented man they they hit the ball right to your players strike zone you know waist level all the time same ball speed almost hitting the racket right as they rally stationary (laughs) standing still right right this is like friday so you know the little johnny is saying man i'm gonna go pro this game is so easy and (laughs) and they look they really look terrific in practice and then Saturday comes along and they play kids that are playing a violent game at keep away, not a game of catch. Right.
0: Right. Right. And now it's
1: like, what the heck happened? And then they, they go down in flames. So I think that's really meaningful that when you're, when you're hiring coaches, if you're a parent, you really want your athletes to, once they get their foundation down, practice keep away patterns and plays. Cause. Right that's the difference soon as a match starts and the warm-up rally is over
2: mm-hmm. the
1: kids that just rally all day that's all they got they're just a rallier from standing in the middle
2: right and the kids that are right. good
1: at changing the angles and hitting it away from people
0: that's the game changer
1: it really is
0: that's the game changer um so uh, I want to touch on quickly for the next next uh, idea, which is old school parenting. Um, and it was so mm-hmm. funny when I was reading this little part, how it's like, you know, if I think you called her Dolores or Doris, or De- <laughs> but, but uh, in the example in the book, um, you talk about uh, a parent of a child who didn't make the high school team. And instead of, blame shifting and yelling at the coach or complaining to the athletic director or, you know, transferring to another school or advising the child to quit. The system isn't fair, you know, all of that stuff. And then you go, then there's the parent, uh, that says get in the gym and work harder. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, I think, um, you know, oftentimes, and we've talked about sort of the idea of the helicopter parent or the tiger parent, or the idea of, you know, you don't prepare the way for the child, you prepare the child for the way. You equip them with the skills that when they meet adversity, then they can do it versus telling mom and mom's gonna go or dad is gonna go and just you know be a little a little crazy, even if they're yeah. well intentioned, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I mean this story is um
1: it's a, I think it's a pretty famous story that Dolores really is the mother of Michael Jordan the basketball player.
0: Oh, I didn't even make that connection. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: and she really did that when he was in high school and he wasn't really? making buys. She said, "Well, just you're not working hard enough."
0: Wow. Wow. So Oh, okay. That is so special. See, I didn't even make that connection. Um, so the next, the next point, uh, and and I love that. Thank you for that. But, um, is emotional regulation. Okay. Mm. And so we, you you said, um, part of this phrase, uh, last time we talked and I loved it, but the hijacked state of mind, you know, that that loss of perception. And I think again, it's so important to say, to a parent we're here to help you versus don't do this you know I mean there is a definitely a space of you know don't do this do that (laughs) but you know to to go ahead and name it and call it out and say look it isn't just you plenty of people go through this so let's just work through it and it's easy to get kind of worked up. And again, I like, I love how you say it's a hijacked state of mind, you know, a loss of perspective. Um, and and so this, this part, the emotional regulation just really spoke mm.
1: to me. <laughs> Ted, as parents, you know that you, you're sitting on the sidelines and you can't do a dang thing about what's going on out there. Whether your kid is crying because they're making errors or maybe there's speculation of how they thought the match should be going and it's not going that way and Mm -hmm. it's painful right our 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 parental instincts kind of kick in right and uh, but it also attacks our self-worth as parents right if our kids out there getting whooped on by another kid it's a tough pill to swallow sometimes you
2: know oh absolutely
0: uh, i I think i think a lot of parents and I'll, i'll be brief on this but there was a a girl that I worked with um, since she was like in tiny tots, you know, like little bitty kid and then was really going for it. And, um, you know, ended up playing college tennis and now coaches college. But, but I remember distinctly this one time I was working at this place that had some indoor courts. We're going indoors, kind of had to go down this little hallway. And there was a mom that was asking the mom of this particular player and she was like oh is that your daughter and another child had gone down the hallway um that just looked like a normal kid given after school to an after school program and the mom of the more serious player said oh no no you know my my child was the um thin tan one and I was mm-hmm. like oh that's weird. <laughs> so it goes into like you just said, you know, the, the self-worth and the self-esteem online, you know, and you say as a silly junior tennis match feels like the Super Bowl. And I, I'm so yeah. glad again to put it out there and go, yes, there are parents. And it's not, a, it's not unnatural mm-hmm. to to kind of go, you know, it's like the bumper stickers on the car or whatever. My, my kid's a, an honor roll student or whatever. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, what, what are you going to put, you know, a, a sticker on your car saying my kid is nationally ranked or whatever. And so, so it, it is difficult. That I think that's a big, a bigger thing than most people want to admit to.
1: <laughs> there is a lot of bragging rights that go into it, isn't yep. there?
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Um, and then they get into college and, you know, then the first thing I hear out of the, the parents mouth when we're traveling is, is my son goes to Harvard, (laughs) that kind of thing. So it is, but, but I get it. I mean, I probably would brag too, if my son went to Harvard. Sure.
0: Sure. That's why this it's, it's a messy thing to navigate, you know, so to help, help having, uh, you know, have a guide to navigate this, this journey because those aren't unnatural thoughts so we're not here to just like shake a finger at somebody and be like don't do this don't do right you know it's it's more of you know let's figure this out together like we talked about chapter one like after a loss i think
1: yeah i think it's big too that the parents you know don't give the laundry list of all the things you're doing wrong but right i think a key is that you know we talked about it before but ask and instead of telling them what to do, ask them what do they think they should have done. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a different way to view your opponent. If they can view opponents like those opponents are the people that are showing me the holes in my game Mm
2: -hmm. that I
1: have to fix before I can go off to play college. So it's actually a blessing that I lost in the 12 and unders because they showed me I really don't have a good second serve. (laughs) And I don't have an approach shot. Mm -hmm. And if they can look at opponents in a different light, that they're not evil and trying to steal your thunder, but they're, they're showing you your, the holes in your game. And then it's your job to share that with your coaches. Um,
0: Exactly. And that goes back to that, you know, approaching the matches with a positive attitude, you know, to be able to, to be able to get into the space where I can say this makes me uncomfortable So I need to be people that I see this, like you said, hole in my game, or this is what makes me uncomfortable. And so we go back, we talk to the coach about it. You set up a hit with a college player. I mean, it it just is beautiful how it all will work together when you take these things that might be perceived as negative things. And instead of just saying, oh, that's bad, that's bad. We go, you know, this is going to happen so let's yeah. just go ahead and it's not tabby. let's just go ahead and get it out there let's go ahead and name it yeah and then yeah, they're gonna lose a, a lot it. of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, on that same topic it's it's meaningful too i think that the parents um they sell the the backdrop of a tournament it's not the losers draw it's just the second tournament of the weekend
0: right That's and so great. Now you have,
1: yeah right you have more opportunities to expose your strengths get get out there and try to play the game that the coaches are trying to get you to play because you know it's just you know how kids are they they get a 5-2 lead and then they say okay just don't blow it now be careful be safe and then they blow it because they just change their game and so
0: isn't that a funny thing how how they get up 5-2 with you know plan a and then they're comfortable and they want to like coast through the finish line and say okay Now I'm just going to, you know, wait for them to lose instead of, you know, I think that is such a massive thing to address. And that's obviously such a mental heady. Yeah. It's very common, isn't it? Yeah.
1: You know, it's hard to, it's hard to do that. uh, You know, especially for a nice feeler type of personality to step on somebody's throat and, and, and kill them. And it's hard to stay focused and intense and, when you have a lead right you know we've all done it we all get up to relax 15, and, and kind yeah. of coast,
0: you know right. <laughs> it your, was your a lot 40, of hard work to get to it yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of hard work to get to that point and so you kind of yeah like, okay let's just coast on through um so so again with the going back to emotional regulation this is such an important part um for the parents saying Staying calm under attack is a tennis parent strategy. Um, and I think that is, you know, you go, okay, staying calm under attack is a tennis parent strategy. Hmm. You know, what does that actually mean? But then you follow it up and you say, managing one's mindset, facial expressions, and body language is a vital tennis parent job description. And so I just think uh, we would be remiss if we didn't at least touch on that and go, this is actually really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, it is. And kids pick up everything and, yep.
0: you know, they, they do
1: really, really listen to your tone of voice, not yep. the message. Right.
0: You right. know, that,
1: that comes first with kids and my, and my experience. And yeah, I mean, you've seen it. Kids can be playing four courts over and their parents shake their head in disgust a little bit. Right. right. And the kid sees it, you know? Yep. And they're like, come on, dad, you know, get out of here.
0: You know, it was, it was so funny when, when I was kind of making my notes on this and I know that uh, you and I are both dog lovers. Mm. And uh, when, when I, have been working with my uh, German shepherd puppy for, for a while and read, you know, reading about, you know, the techniques to be, t- how do you train your, pet anyway, all that to say that they don't really know what the words that you're saying to them mean yeah yeah. (laughs) but they do react to the tone of voice and your facial expression and so it's like you know if I'm saying you know good 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 girl good girl you know she doesn't know what good or girl means but she can tell by my tone of voice that oh this is good and so it's not exactly like like uh you know working with an actual human child but again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like the dog is gonna react to your tone of voice and and even your facial expressions and those things. And so I thought that was kind of just a neat little thing to go, oh, you know, yes, it's
2: true you, yeah. you
0: know, yes, what the tone that you're using definitely matters
1: <laughs> and that is part of the parental dialogue. It's not just the words that you're using, but it's how you're saying them and when you're saying them, right? Mm-hmm. and and that's the next chapter, even, huh? It's chapter three. Is
0: all right. To,
1: that's what, that we'll be getting into a there's, little bit. There's then, our segue. But, <laughs> yeah, right on.
0: But, um one one more thing I wanted to touch on on this uh that this heading that that you say teach independence versus dependence and I think we could do a whole podcast just on this. So yeah. So be quick. I know. I know our time time is getting getting gone here, but. Um, I love how this gets into the more, not just on the tennis court, but life. And so you say strong, independent problem solvers are essential in competitive tennis and life. And so I just think after I read that statement, I was, I was like, okay, I just need to stop for a minute and be like, that's so true. You know, if, if you... Are learning those skills, which are life skills of dealing with adversity, then that is definitely reflective of your competition and your, and your next match. You know, I mean, that there's going to be adversity. They're just doing yeah. it.
1: <laughs> and look, if you guys are lucky as parents, if you're lucky, your kids are going to go off to college and they're going to need to be independent problem solvers. Cause you don't want them coming back living in your basement, you know, the right. 40, 40 year olds. And
0: <laughs> man, you want them to be,
1: you know, <laughs>
2: successful. And so yeah. yeah.
0: It, it's 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 a funny thing, of it. I, I you know, I've I've told parents before, it's like it's kind of a weird uh job description for me, but it's like I'm I'm trying to train players not to need me.
2: <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs>
0: You know, I want them to be able to do this for themselves. So yes, I can be a guide, you know, yes, I want them to, to make their own decisions. So, so essentially I'm, um, I'm putting myself out of a job. I want you to go on thrilled. and do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not going to hold your hand when you're 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <Beautiful. laughs> So, um, let's see here the, oh, this was another part before we move on is, is you say giving them responsibility, like you talked about the airport analogy, um, Mm -hmm. a while back and I loved that, but you know, in this, it says trusting them develops the confidence required to be an independent problem solver and that idea of trusting someone and then that gives them confidence, I, I think is so important. You know, yeah. I mean, even if something little like, let's say my mom is uh gonna make dinner for for some friends, there she's entertaining and you know, she needs me to pick up something from the store uh that that she really needs and she can't leave and go get it right now. The fact that she would trust me to go get this ingredient that she needs Yeah. Makes me feel, you know, I feel good. I'm like, oh yeah. You know, versus if she was like, I'm not going to send you to the store because you're going to come back with 10 different things and forget what I sent you for, you know?
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) So giving, trusting to trusting a child or athlete to, you know, kind of relinquishing your, your hold on them and going, I want you to be confident doing this. And, and that can be hard you know, I mean, that can be hard, but, but yeah, to become a problem solver is just invaluable.
1: Look, it's, it's, it's tenfold harder. I mean, it would be so much easier if we just say, get out of the way, I'll do it myself. Right. You know, and I'll go get, I'll go get the pasta that we need. But to me though, you know, they're going to go get the wrong pasta, but that's part of, that's part of the process. So, (laughs) so maybe we need to do like reverse psychology and if we want you know if we really want linguine tell him to go pick up spaghetti and then they'll maybe get what we wanted i don't know i
0: I love it (laughs) i love it um so so the the last heading in in chapter two uh threw me for a loop i gotta tell you and when i you know read just like the bullet point of it i was like chicken blood i was like okay chicken blood what And so I started, I had never heard of, of this practice of, you know, in China where they would, you know, but I'm not, but I'm not surprised. I gotta say, I'm not entirely surprised by this, but yeah. So, so explain a little bit about the, this notion of, of chicken blood.
1: (laughs) Well, it was just something that I was, um, researching, um, about what extends the parents actually go through to. Give their kids a leg up, right? And this is way back in the 1950s, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: in China they would inject their children with chicken blood, which supposedly gave them more energy <laughs> and be able to
2: That's so concentrate
1: <laughs> longer and memorize more. And yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm sure that a lot of cultures have wacky things too. But mm-hmm. um, and maybe that made a lot of sense back then to them,
2: right? But right.
1: Sometimes in the book, though, I got to be honest, that after, you know, a, a chapter or two, I got to, I just try to throw something in there like chicken blood, because it makes <laughs> people curious. And they're like, what the heck is this? Exactly.
0: Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then
1: it, it, then it does cover how it, you know, relates to the parental, but. Yep. The God. But anyway,
0: weird, I, right? I, I no, no, but it's exactly like you said, it caught my attention. Just. Yeah. Being- unique you know and so i was like oh this should be interesting but um so (laughs) it says let your athlete be responsible for making decisions you know we touched on it already but but giving them that responsibility trust showing your trust in them you know whether they screw up the first time and you trust them again to to do better the next time you know what is it uh Vavrinka's uh, you know, fail once, fail better,
2: <laughs> but yeah.
0: the, the tattoo yeah. he has on his forearm there, um, you know, but saying, you know, letting them fail a bit allows them to learn from their mistakes and you can encourage better choices the next time they fail. And that last part I think is so important because it starts with a positive word. It starts with encourage yeah. and that approach is is brilliant because encourage better choices. And so versus saying you did this, 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 this wrong and focusing on the wrong thing, you can say, okay, you you had the the space to make this decision. and maybe, you know, you fail and learned from your mistakes. But instead of harping on the failure, I love the word encourage here that you say encourage better choices the next time they fail. And I, I think putting that positive spin on it is 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 just vital, you know, versus just I don't know.
1: Yeah. It does keep the child's inner belief intact because you know that old saying, whether you believe that you can or believe that you can't, you're probably right, kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if if worse if we're telling them consistently that they're broken and and they're not able to fix things, that's what they're going to be thinking the next time they're at, you know, crunch time, going into a tiebreaker.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's like if you put a kid, you know, in in a box, so to speak, and you go, okay, this kid's a troublemaker. And the kid hears that, and then it's almost like a pass to be a troublemaker because they think of a troublemaker, so it's okay to be a troublemaker. Yeah, right on, right on. (laughs) like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, uh, that's why I like the word encourage, encourage better choices versus being like, you always screw this up, you know, yeah. in their yeah. mind, it's, it's like a past and I like, oh well, they think I'm going to screw up anyway. So who cares?
1: <laughs> it's very hard to, for, for me, if I see, I see parents that are saying things like my child is so negative on the court. And then I, I pay attention to their dialogue and the parent is very 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 negative. Yep. And it's like, well, that's where they get it from,
2: you know, right. that kind of
0: thing. right. That is like the modeling part of it, like because, like you right. said, the kids are paying attention, even if it's they they subconscious. You know, there's consciously paying attention, and then there's subconsciously paying attention, and that's they're they're equal in a way.
1: <laughs> and I think that's important when parents do uh, scold their kids, or they're getting upset about things that. I like the idea that coaches too but coaches and parents they audio audio record these conversations just for their own growth and then listen to themselves. Yep. Yep. So
0: what you think you're doing might not yes. really be what's happening. Man <laughs> this 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 last part here of of the chicken blood uh, <laughs> the part says uh, by allowing your athlete to deal with conflict and cope with defeat, you're secretly developing their life skills, positive character traits, and the moral compass every young person needs to succeed. That is just such a beautiful statement. Um, again, about, about talking about allowing your athlete to deal with conflict and cope with defeat. Um, you know what, what? How that's building on their life skills and and positive character traits and a moral compass that that every young person needs to succeed. Um, that reminded me of of there's a Rudyard Kipling quote um, above the the kind of tunnel to go out onto center court at Wimbledon, and it says, "If you can meet with triumph and disaster, and treat those two imposters just the same." and uh it's from a poem that he wrote that that's it's called if but but i just i love that because i feel like it 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 kind of encompasses you know meet triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same you know so it's like dealing with like you say coping with defeat you know and coping with you know when you do great so so it's kind of you know you're triumph can be fleeting and disaster is also fleeting and so exactly you know but, but and so that's why it says treat those two imposters just the same because you're yeah, not that's wholly correct. defined by either one of those because you're sure. going to experience both and so that's why I, I, I love that poem I, and um
1: <laughs> it's great isn't that but that's such an important life skill because if we're really honest about it life is hard and we have to prepare our children for the fact that people are going to say no and they're going to fail and they're not going to get every opportunity that they wish for and uh we have to give them those skills too to handle that and you know see the grace in that and see why that didn't come come through for them anyway and 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 how to move on from it cuz
0: exactly Right. I mean, that, that, how, how you, how do you move on from either of those cases? Because you're not wholly defined by yeah. either one of those results. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just, I love, I loved this chapter. So we went from nurturing happiness to behind the curtain with chapter yeah. two. And this one to me was so so impactful for for the tennis parent. I mean, I know we're we're talking that's the psychology of tennis parenting, but but this yeah. chapter seemed to really make clear and lay out some some helpful hints or some. Oh, no, that's good. Some, you know, again, I'll, I just love that word. In, encourage better choices. You know, so yeah. Sort of my big takeaway after the nurturing happiness, and then instead of focusing on, don't do, don't do, don't do encourage uh, i just love that you use that encourage better choices and so well it's
1: gonna get even better i mean mean, (laughs) i'm just gonna tell you right now the book is getting. you know i'm not uh, reading
0: ahead i have not read no yeah
1: (laughs) yeah parental dialogue we're gonna dig into that and so Mm -hmm. look according to a study um those who read my books are more um intellectual and and happier and better looking people so
2: that's (laughs) why
0: No, nah, well, I don't know. Again, I just made up. you know, Frank. <laughs> no, once again, Frank. Thank you so much for for taking the time out of your busy schedule um, to to go through this. I, I know it's already impacting um, people and coaches and players as as we're going through. I'll I'll get you know messages here or there, and so I'm sure sure Great. you will. as well. Yeah. Um, so so you know again thank you for your time and and no thank you we will rock on and so chapter two let me give you a high five
2: chapter two
0: so thank you know thank you everybody for for listening to this chapter um on the line and uh with frank giampalo we are so thankful Uh, and we'll see you next time